podcast. As always, my name is Jeff, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend Paul. How are you this morning? Yes, I'm very good, Jeff. I am. I am relatively buoyant, you might say. Good. Yes, you are quite chipper today. Which, I am which very is chipper. Nice. It's early. I've just had my coffee, so I'm buzzing. <laughs> yeah. How, how many have you had so far? Three. Okay. Well, I've had two, so I'm kind of lightweight. N- nearly there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, we've got a, a special guest with us this morning. Um, mm. We're joined by Esme Jakimi Pearson, who is the writer behind the <gasps> Target adaptation of The Church on Ruby Road, which Look you can see that. here. Look at that. It's, it's lovely. I mean, uh, absolutely fantastic. So this For just audio came listeners out. who can't see that, describe uh, it, Jeff. I'll de- okay, I'll describe it. Well, it's got uh, a very <laughs> nice slipcover uh, with... Um, Ruby and the Doctor dangling off a rope ladder uh, from the uh, goblin ship. Uh, the sun is setting behind them. Uh, and then uh, it's got Esme's name at the bottom, proudly uh, emblazoned on the front of the book. Fantastic. So hopefully if you're listening to this and not just watching it on YouTube, you can picture the splendour of that in your mind. It's probably completely different to what it actually looks like, <laughs> but I tried. Um, so how are you this morning, Esme? I'm good. I'm only on my first... You've got to catch up a bit, yeah. Yeah, I need to go make another one. No, I'm very happy to be here. I'm very excited for the discussion. Um, And yeah, I just feel very lucky to have been invited on the podcast. Well, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. So, um, let's kick this off by saying welcome to the Hooniverse. And how does it feel to now be involved in it and be a part of it? It feels amazing. I mean, it's this strange feeling because obviously, you know, I am a massive Doctor Who fan and I've been a fan for years. Mm. So it feels very much like I've been a part of the Hooniverse for ages. Yeah. But to, to be now officially like um, sort of like, you know, my name on the front of the book cover, yeah. having met loads of different people um, involved in Doctor Who sort of like within the brand and then within like the wider like fan community has just been amazing because it's always been um, like a very solo thing for me. I've always just like watched by myself or with my right. sister or something. So it feels really lovely to just meet loads of different people um, and kind of be involved um, properly. So yeah, it's been really great. I'm really enjoying it. Brilliant, brilliant. It's fantastic. Yeah, it? so <laughs> y- you know, the, the t- as you probably know, the Target books are famous and they live on and mm. you know, in, in another 20 years, There'll be a you know a different print version of this one coming out with your name still on the front, different yeah, cover they, art. They and last forever, don't they? Yeah, they, they keep going on. Brilliant. Yeah, Paul, Paul's a huge fan of, of the Target books. Aren't I you? am. If, if my camera was turned around the other way, there would be a bank of Target novels right there. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm just I've, I've got the space ready for when I can <laughs> plug yours into it, like yeah. Pride of Place. I've got the shrine. It's all it's all kind oh of there, gosh, already I waiting. Can't believe it. You know, <laughs> it does feel surreal that people because some somebody. Yeah came to an event for one of my other books and said, you know, there's like, I think he said 172 books or something for the target novelizations. Yeah. How does it feel to be like, you know, the next one on the shelf? And I was like, oh my God, I'd never really thought of it in that way before. But I used to read the target novelizations when I was really small at right. in the library. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just crazy. It's absolutely mind blowing that mine will be then with the rest now. Yeah, you, you really are, you know, going to be immortalised in, in, you know, who history. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's quite, a, you know, an impressive collection to be, to be joining. And, Paul, you might be able to correct me, but this, I think this is the first Target book that's, um, that's come out in, in hardback like this, I think. And then there's, uh, for its first release of, anyway. Ooh, of the new series, possibly. Yeah. In, in, in the old days, mate, back in the old 80s and 70s, they used to, they used to do them. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I won't do that. They used, right. they used to come out in hardback <laughs> infrequently. So there, there, there right. were quite a few 
um, hardbacks, and they usually uh, precede the the paperback version by a few months, yeah, ish, okay. thereabouts. So, but but there there aren't that many of them, and they're quite well sought after. Mm. So it's quite special, titles. I think, for it for it to be mm, a hardback. Definitely, like I think so. certainly the new series they've mm. they've all gone straight to softback, haven't they? Yeah, because so the, the sixtieth specials just came out, but they're paperback, aren't they? Mm. And um, I think is there maybe a paperback version of this one coming out? In a couple I think of months, there will be in a few yeah. months. Yeah, yes, I think someone found a listing on Amazon. <laughs> of course uh, they did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they were like, oh, "It's coming out in ever resourceful." <laughs> yeah, it's coming out in June or July, which is usually when the the target uh, you know wave comes out for the year. So they yeah. were like, "Oh, it must, it must be coming in with that." So maybe we'll get a new cover. So you know, like people are excited to see what the cover art will be for it. You know, when when the paperback comes out. Yeah, me too. Totally. So, um, <laughs> my next question was: Were you a, a Doctor Who fan before you wrote the book? So obviously you said you were yeah, so we've answered that one yeah, yeah yeah so what um you know which which doctor was your favorite have you got a favorite episode and you know yeah so i came to the show at a at a pretty good point so i um moved to the, so i wasn't born in the uk i was born in australia because mm. my dad's an aussie and we the family moved back to the to london because my mum's like london born and bred right yeah and um it was like a w an awkward age because I was about nine so I, I just started to sort of like really make my friendships get to the end of primary school yeah. and then we had to kind of move for the last year of primary school um so I think it was one Saturday me and my sister were just miserable because we were like we've got no friends what are we gonna do <laughs> so and in Australia kids don't watch loads of tv or at least mm. we didn't because the tv is like crap over there right. <laughs> like two channels so we hey, neighbors and home and away yeah. yeah that's true we have a few like, we've got a few big hitters but for yeah. kids it's a bit like when I was younger, the situation wasn't as good. Although we were watching Neighbours occasionally, which my mom. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, yeah, we so we came over and we were mm. sitting around on the Saturday. And we were like, oh, what are we going to watch? So we went on to BBC iPlayer, um, good old trusty BBC, and. <laughs> we came across this show called Doctor Who and I was a massive fantasy fan, massive sci-fi mm. fan already. I'd like used to read so many um, fantasy books as a kid. So yeah, we just watched it um, and were hooked like straight away. Awesome. Um, so we came in from what we call season one, which is Christopher Eccleston season. Yeah, yeah. And he was just hilarious. Like we found him so funny and like a bit <laughs> rude, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and just thought he was great and obviously love Rose and that whole dynamic. Yeah. And then I think we watched it all the way through till about um, David Tennant's regeneration, I think. Mm. And I think one of the first ever episodes I would have watched live would have been, I think it was a 2010 Christmas special. I'm pretty sure with Matt Smith, maybe. Yeah. Um, oh, which which one was that? Was that the was his first one with uh, yeah. Michael Gambon, wasn't it? Yeah, the, 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 the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe. No. Yes. Was yeah, it, yeah, oh, was yeah, it yeah. that one? That's mm. it, isn't it? Yes, yeah. I remember that. And um. I need to go back and watch <coughs> And yeah, that was that was my first sort of introduction to Doctor Who. And then after that, we just watched um, weekly mm. with everybody else. Yeah. And then I've kind of like come in and out of it. Um, watched pretty regularly. I had a bit a bit of a dip at uni. Um, and then now yeah. I'm, just, I'm back into it and I'm ready for May and I'm going to be watching religiously. Me and my boyfriend have watched the specials like yeah. as soon as they came out. So yeah. we're, we're ready to go, basically. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, so tell us a bit about how the novel came about and you know how the how the job came to you and you know what what that process was yeah so that was interesting um i'd done a project with the bbc a few mm. years before and it just never got off the ground it was really sad um but i had a great time doing it and everyone everyone there was really lovely and it was quite an ambitious project 
Um, but I think teams were changing and it just mm. never kind of, you know, materialised. Was, was that a book as well or was it something on, on screen? Or um, it, well, I'm not sure how long, much I'm upset. Yeah. It was like a, it was a multimedia project, so it wasn't oh, okay. just confined to... I think mm. if it had been made, it would have been incredible. But um, And it might still be made. But okay. yeah, it was a very ambitious, wide-scoping project. Mm. And it basically just wanted to tell a story, a Doctor Who story over multiple mediums, which was such a cool idea. So I was brought in... Um, as like a, a novel writer mm. and it was maybe like a video game writer or something like that okay and um, it was really cool but it never happened and I was really sad because I was like oh that would have been so cool yeah, but I had yeah. a great time and I loved working with Doc 2 because obviously by at that point I was a fan so I was like oh my god this is such a dream come true um, and I knew that I wanted to work with them in the future because also it was mm. just a really nice working experience like the whole team is so nice um, and I feel like they really carry the ethos of Doc 2 like throughout the whole campaign, or at least was, to me. Um, when was when was that Esme was it with Chris Chibnall's era or when it was during Chris Chibnall's era. Right. It was about maybe like three and a half years ago now. Okay, okay. Years ago yeah. now. So it was a while, and then mm. I, I didn't hear anything for a while, and I thought like, oh, my time's been and gone. Mm. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. It was probably and with then, COVID as well, though, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. All that kicking off. Everything was so restricted because mm. of that, and um, yeah. it was still in the days when it was like a writer's room, and we had to take a COVID test every morning before mm. we went in. So it was very de deep in the depths of COVID, and then yeah. That went quiet, and then a few um, years later, I was contacted again by the books department. So it was by a totally uh, right. different department, mm. and they were like, "We know about your work on this project, and we'd love to have you do a novelization." Yeah, brilliant. And I didn't realise what a kind of big deal that was at the time. <laughs> I was just kind of like, "Oh yeah, sign me up!" Like immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, of course, I want to do that. Which um, is probably quite good in a way, because if if you had realised maybe, and the pressure suddenly, yeah. you know, freak out about it. So you no, know, exactly. I only realised sort of how. Because um, as, as a fan of the show, I've only ever really been a fan of the show. I, I'm mm. not a big podcast listener in any way, so I'm not fami that familiar with the Big Finish episodes. Um, and I read the novelizations but when I was younger, so it's not mm. something I've done much um, anymore. So I kind of, yeah, I just didn't really have that awareness. I was just sort of really happy to be there, like, mm. <laughs> very much like, oh, I, I can't wait to, like, put my own spin on it and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But it's, after it's come out now, I've realised how excited people are for it, um, which is just amazing. But, yeah, something I'm glad I wasn't, didn't have that full knowledge of before I went, because mm. I think I would have found the pressure yeah. quite a lot. But, yeah, then... Um, they were like, do you want to write a novelization? I said, yes, of course. Then a few more months went by and I had no idea what um, mm. not what episode it was going to be. And then they sort of told me and I just and I got the script and I watched the episode all within a very quick succession. Um, wow. So I think they like to keep info back till like the mm, last yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just an amazing experience. Like I had a very surreal moment when I got the script and I saw like The Church on Ruby Road by Russell T <laughs> Davies and right under his name it said like, special novelization script for Esme GQ oh, I was like, wow. oh my God. I <laughs> hope you got a copy of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got it on my, on my laptop because they didn't give me a physical one. And right. it has like, huge watermarks like splashed all over it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it was quite funny because it, it's got a huge watermark with my name on it. And at first I was like, wow, that's so cool. Mm. And then I realized, no, this is such a threat. It's so if I share it with anyone, like, yeah. you know exactly <laughs> who did that. Well, did, did you ever hear Sorry. that... Um, Samuel L. Jackson left his Avengers script on a train or something. No, he didn't. And it, it had his Dang. name, you know, written across it the way He's, yours is. Yeah. And uh, he got an absolute roasting from them. <laughs> and um, subsequently, 
I think all scripts are, you know, watermarked, they're done digitally, and there's been videos of, like, Tom Holland burning his script when he's read it and stuff to, you know, like, I can't, you know, I can't leak it, you know, it's gone, it's gone. So Tom Holland's worse for that, though, isn't he, for for dropping spoilers and interviews and things. He is, isn't he, yeah. (laughs) Him him and Mark Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo's Mm. pretty bad as well, yeah. So, yeah, it must be, um, yeah, quite... uh, it, 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 not intimidating as such, but when you know you see your name on there and stuff, and you're like, oh yeah, I really have to be careful with with yeah. this, yeah. yeah. And exactly. and we had a little uh, sort of taste recently. We we did some stuff with Joe Martin and and one yeah. of the, her action figure, yeah. and we shot that back in November, and we had to keep it quiet since yeah. then. You know, so you see people online saying, oh, you know, where's the fugitive doctor figure and stuff? Yeah, that one. And and you're like, we know it's coming, but we can't say anything. So, you know, yeah. it's been... And you just, you're bursting to tell people because you know they'd be so happy and like... Excited. That's it, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, when you see people, you know, m- miserable mm. that it's not coming and you're like, I want to tell you something. <laughs> I'm not allowed yet. I just wait Could you tell your immediate family? Could you let them in? I... I yeah, I'm not sure if I was allowed, but I did. <laughs> I was like, they have to know. And they were really happy yeah. for me. Also, to know why I was suddenly, like, um, just, like, re-watching all of Doctor Who like a crazy person. Yeah, going on yeah, a bender yeah. for it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, getting in the zone, getting a feel for yeah, the yeah. style yeah. and the pace and everything else. Yeah. To be honest, I don't think they would have batted an eye. Even, I, you know, if I was, <laughs> I was like, getting through a good few episodes a night, they would have been like, okay. <laughs> yeah, new, new hobby, <laughs> yeah, new hobby. Yeah. So um, we'll come back to the book in a second, but how did your involvement with Chris's time on the show come about? Because we know, like we spoke to Ella Road, who was a you know playwright, and um, you know he was quite interested in kind of you know new voices and, and new writers. So you know how how did that, that happen for you? So um, with that, I'm not entirely sure, but I was told that the way that they became aware of me, basically in my so I'll just do a little. I'll show you the. So I've got my own book. Yep. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. We've we've got some questions for that, but um, you've got a good good shout out for it in early. I know it's coming. Um, um, This this character, Obi, here, he's actually a time traveller character and he's like in a queer relationship and he's Mm. sort of very much inspired by my love of Doctor Who and kind of like this, just the idea of time travel has just obsessed me ever since mm. I watched Doctor Who. So when I wrote my own book, I was like, I know I want a sort of time mm. traveling character. And his version of time travel works very differently to Doctor Who. It's got way more like limitations on it and more okay. sort of like, um, it's more of a system, I guess, than the vehicle being a, yeah. um, like a time machine. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, so he's kind of like, and, I, and ever since I watched Sex Education, I've always thought there's two actors, there's Shuti Gatwa and Papa Eseju. And I've always yeah. thought those two would be perfect to play my time traveller. <laughs> um, and so when Shuti Gatwa's casting was announced, I had oh a moment of just like, yeah. are you in my brain right now? <laughs> yeah. Are you like, have you read my, actually wow. read my mind? Um, and so I wonder if, you know, there had been talks about casting the Doctor sort of like mm. more diversely or like breaking the mould with that. And then obviously um, my book is so nichely perfect mm. for that sort of like vibe. So mm. I kind of think maybe they, they'd become aware of me through that. And also just because in the UK, unfortunately, the science fiction and fantasy scene is still very much like lagging with like new voices yeah. mm, especially of like uh you know like women um mm. black women especially i think there's probably about four or five in the whole right. of the uk 
who were like traditionally publishing yeah. um, speculative fiction, um, which is, you know, it's amazing that it's kind of like getting a bit more traction now, but it's mm -hmm. very slow going. So I think it, it might honestly have been a case of like, who's writing in this genre? Yeah, yeah. There was three people, okay, who's writing time travel specifically? There was one person <laughs> and it was me. So, you know, in that sense, I guess it's a lesson in really following what you want to write about and yeah. not in a box because it can really pay off but um yeah. yeah i think it was kind of that was the pipeline to sort of getting me into doctor right okay brilliant i was looking at um at some of the blurb for uh, principle of moments and there's a brilliant line on uh, on on the on the sale page which says star wars meets doctor who meets jane austen yeah. in an epic sci-fi fantasy adventure unlike anything you've seen before mm. yeah. and then at the top of it there's um there's there's a little thing from ben aranovich who used to be who's a doctor yeah. who writer who mm -hmm. says it's my favorite kind of grand space opera and it's it's I'm, I'm looking forward to it it's, yeah it, i was, was going to say brilliant. it's out now isn't it i i read the blurb as well and i thought yeah mm. that sounds kind of right up my street so yeah. uh yeah have, have no, to get get a I copy think, of that i think doctor who fans would find a lot to like in there mm. it was mm. written by a doctor who fan so it's definitely got a lot of call outs to the show and also i think the storytelling of doctor who informed so much of my mm. like um I guess even just like my moral code and what sort of will make it into yeah, my, yeah. my yeah. books. Just like, mm. you know, I always say it's about, you know, the power of love, which I, I'm taking that back. I'm reclaiming that phrase. <laughs> You're going to own it. As a legitimate <laughs> phrase that writers can say. Because yeah. Because I, I think if you really go in, down into the heart of Doctor Who, mm. I think it is a lot about the power of love, of course. Yeah, so. well, but, and particularly with, you know, the 13th Doctor, that was, uh, especially in Series 11, that was a really big theme. I, I was playing um, mm. Magic uh card game uh, yeah. the other night and one of the cards had a quote from demons of the punjab on it which was uh you know how love and hope are, are very similar so yeah you're right you know that and kind of kindness and, and hope and optimism is such a, a massive part of of the character and mm. you know essentially helping people and being kind and exactly. yeah i think it's it's really kind of forefront for the character i totally agree um so we'll, we'll come back to your book shortly but yes. um i wondered uh with with Ruby Road, um, when did you first get to read the script, and and did you yeah. get to see the episode, you know, in yeah. rough or finished or, you know, yeah, how did it all work? It yeah, you, you know, did did you like, uh, you know, did you have six months to write it, or did they say <laughs> Here, here's the episode and it goes out and you know in a month and you've got to write your book? You know, how how was that process? So I got the script in around. In, it was in the summer. I can't quite remember which month it was. I think it was mm. probably late-ish summer. Yeah. No, yeah, it would have been around late summer because I oh, wow. signed the contract in about July. Mm. Um, so, yeah, read the script, got that quite quickly after everything was sort of finalised. Um, amazing script. Just like as soon as I'd read the opening, sort of no word yeah. of like as soon as I read the opening three pages, I was like, we're in for such a treat right now. Mm. I got full chills sitting in press. <laughs> um, I was so good. And then I so read the whole script and then very quickly was brought in to watch the episode. Um, 
Yeah, because I guess it was all shot by then, wasn't it? Well, this is the thing. So the whole episode was shot. None of the um, special effects were completed, or they were very rough drafts. So, like, the first shot of the goblin ship in the show, when you watch it, it's like this magnificent flying Mm. alien craft. In the... um, When I watched it, it was like a black box going like... (laughs) across the sky. Brilliant. And the brand manager, James, who was helping me with the episode, kind of went, oh, well, just imagine it's, you know, just as it is in the script. I was like... Yeah. <laughs> did, did they show you concept boards, drawings, and anything like that? No, I honestly got very little information. Oh, wow. I, everyone was available for me to ask mm. questions too, but I really had to kind of like ask the question and yeah, yeah, get yeah. clarification and say, what about this and what about this? Um, even the sonic screwdriver, I didn't get real good pictures of it until yeah. very, very late in the process. Um, I'd finished the whole book mm. by the point that I saw pictures of it. And. Um, there was another scene, so I don't know how many people know this, but the snowman scene where the big snowman's up. In the yes, it was shot up. later, wasn't it? Yeah, it's about to fall. Yeah. It was shot later, and so um, added to the script later. So then my whole draft was done by the point that that was shot <laughs> oh, and written. And yeah. I was like, oh, like sort of got oh, dust my hands with that. That was great. <laughs> yeah. And then I get this frantic email going. There's another scene. There's a new script. Haven't you seen the new script yet? And I was like, no, it hasn't been said to me. So then I had to go and get find the new script and um fix the draft mm. and send it back in and it was it's really weird um writing for the for doctor who or just like doing the adaptation from tv mm. or script to novelization because yeah. a lot of the characters don't have names you know it, they just wouldn't have names they'd oh, be like right. the young yeah. policeman or like the mm. woman with the pram or something but in the um in text it then that creates too much distance between yeah, yeah. the characters you, you yeah. referring yeah. to them by sort of like um this like the young policeman said this or the mother said this it's a bit odd so then I, we had to sort of frantically go through all the channels to be like do these people have names can we make <laughs> up names for them yeah. like what's going on and um i think eventually i think w- they did get named eventually and yeah so that that was really interesting mm. yeah that's and, um, a bit of a challenge stuff. isn't it yeah and i, I thought it was so funny because i despite knowing that doctor who's not the most you know it's never been the most high high-tech cgi show although it did get it's pretty get good being that way yeah mm. in recent seasons i was still so um i found it so funny how they do the effects for small things <laughs> and, like in one scene like someone's cup gets moved by, like, oh yes yeah yeah and it's just like a, a person with a stick going like <laughs> that's brilliant i love that <laughs> Isn't it, isn't it great? Like, if it, it yeah. feels so Doctor Who that they would have such a simple solution for something yeah. that's so clever. Yeah, the, the simplest like the solution is, the, yeah. is, you know, the best way sometimes, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So that was really, um, that was just hilarious to watch. And then all the, do- the goblins. Mm. I think they'd had like a, I think they'd filmed some of it by that time, but they hadn't really enhanced it. So it looked a bit funny. But um, yeah, it was just great. I love seeing a sort of behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I had a great time watching that. Um, so we've got a question from Gilster on Twitter, um, and actually he had two. So when you adapt an episode, what draft of the script did you get? But how uh, how flexible were the BBC in allowing you to add new scenes or you know character moments? So you kind of talked about it. There were the names and stuff. So you know, were you able to kind of you know embellish things and kind of you know enrich stuff? Because that's one of the things of the Target novels that you know there's more than we see on screen quite often and you know people's inner thoughts and stuff like that so how much kind of you know leeway did you have with that um on this episode i didn't have i did not have loads of leeway they mm. what they did really want me to stick to the um 
to the script. I also wasn't fully aware of how much people like it when you digress from the script. Mm. So in my mind, I was thinking, okay, I've got to really stick to the script because I don't want to go like too off piste. Mm. But um, within that, I managed to add like a few of my own little Mm. bits and pieces here. My favorite thing that that I managed to get through which no one sort of had anything to say about, was um, there's a tiny little paragraph talking about um, Ruby's adopted grandmother, Cherry, and her sort of history about how... Like, her I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, because yeah, it's not... It wasn't, you know, I didn't get a biography mm. for the characters, so I just thought, I wonder what her life was like. And um, writing oh. those characters actually meant a lot to me because my mm. own grandmother was a Jamaican sort of like immigrant to the UK and she became like a midwife and a nurse. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to use a little bit of her story um, to embellish Cherry's story. And I found that just so, like, it just gave nice. me all the good feelings to be yeah. in Doctor Who. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so I just sort of cast her I guess as a member of the Windrush generation mm. who'd come to this country and really helped to build it up and yeah now she's sort of in her she gets to sit in bed and be in her old granny um, <laughs> and, and <laughs> demand, so, demand yeah, her I, tea. I, I thought it was fantastic actually and, and th- there are I think that's that's probably the, the biggest touch that, yeah. that I can kind of spot having, having read through it there, there are some nice moments again but, and it is that you know between the characters you, you, you have there's a very brief moment on the Doctor's insight as well when they're talking about the coincidence and everything else and uh, and how the Doctor thinking ah foolish you know foolish I shouldn't have said that why did I say that yeah. you know what I mean and, and which we don't get on screen so yeah. it kind no. of just gives a, a, an additional layer of energy to that scene and, and going back to Cherry you know I, I, I love that because you know we there's so much in that relationship and those yeah. tiny little touches just a little bit more detail just bring the characters to life and it, and it makes the contrast when you know when things go south and we get the alternative um sort of timeline kicking in mm-hmm. and you describe cherry's face now as full of lines but different lines instead of the mm-hmm. laughter crows lines mm-hmm. they're they're frowns you know of a different life experience one that's been harder and harsher mm-hmm. i i love that i thought it's fantastic I mean, when I first read that section in the script of how, mm. you know, the, the different, the crack in the ceiling and Ruby being taken led to a whole different turn of events. I was tearing up like that yeah. was so <laughs> sad. And when I, I, I just thought, oh yeah. God, like Doctor Who is so back. Like this is going to be, this is mm. so good. Like I was so, I was so genuinely moved and upset by it. Um, and then to watch the performances on the screen. Mm. I was just like, oh my gosh! I think both, I think all three actors of Shooty and then um, the actor of Carla and Cherry, they played it so well, and I, yeah. I was just devastated watching it. Um, mm. And I, I got the sense that viewers would be devastated watching it while I was reading the script and from the episode that I saw. And so I was just like, God, I really need to make sure that I'm mm. nailing this emotional sort of beat in the mm. story because it was just so, like that is so serious. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because sometimes there's it's a the writer. Yeah, I can be quite lighthearted and mm. it's more about the fun adventure. But there are some things I think you, um, scenes in like a story that sort of yeah. epitomized the whole story. And I think it was that scene for me where it was just like, you know, look at what, um, look at the joy that Ruby's brought to their mm. lives and how she's like changed their lives. And by them sort of like loving somebody, they've loved life. And I don't know, it was just so beautiful. So I yeah. really wanted to capture that sense of loss um, by Ruby being gone. Yeah, that that oh, moment in in the episode yeah. when the the crack starts running through the ceiling and you know the color grading changes on it <clears throat> and everyone's kind of uh, you know demeanor changes and and the performances and stuff. It, yeah, you're right. It, you know, 
it, I can imagine reading it and thinking what it would be like. And then when you know <clears throat> when you see it, it does actually hit quite quite hard, and it's really effective to show you know what what Ruby brought to their life and things. It's it's a brilliant yeah. section of it. Yeah, so. There's a part I was trying to find here. I think it's in here somewhere, sort of towards the end of the novel, without giving away any kind of spoilers. But again, mm. there's there's a really nice insight into into Carla and, and the Doctor kind of observing her and saying, you know, because this isn't actually your life, you know, this isn't you, and he can sense the tragedy of that, and it mm. makes the stakes seem even higher because mm. the Doctor has to fix this. You know, it's not just yeah, about Ruby. Yes, she's the, the yeah. crucial part of it, but it's about this whole family now and. Yeah, and I love that he was the only one who knew what mm. had happened. Like, they obviously both had this sense of loss. I, I think in the script it was something like, I'm not sure, like, she or I wrote, like, she didn't even know what she had lost or she didn't even mm. know what she was grieving, but they were grieving, like, it was mm. very obvious. Yeah. And I loved that sense of personal responsibility for the mm. doctor. And I wonder if that's, I, fe- I, ha- I don't know, this isn't, like, insider knowledge or anything. Like, mm. I, I wonder if that's going to be a theme for him this season, is kind of, like, taking on yeah. personal responsibility for the damage that he causes to mm. sort of, like, the, the companions and their families mm. and stuff. Because he does have a moment, I think, outside the house that he doesn't, he's not sure if he should go back in after he leaves yeah. to save Davina McCall, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's sort of thinking, like... I can't remember if he says it in the show or if it got cut mm. or if it was in the script, but I think it was definitely a moment where he was like, I think he says, like, maybe I'm the bad luck. And Mrs. Flood says, like, oh, what's wrong with you? And he's yeah. just like, what if I'm the bad luck or what if uh, I'm That is in it, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah so that's, I, that's... I watched it again after I, after I read the book last night to mm-hmm. see if there were many differences. I mean, you're right, it, it, it does follow closely everything that happens and then just has these few little moments where we just get a little bit more depth a little bit more character as i said which kind of adds to adds to the stakes but it's um sorry jeffy i I interrupted you no it's it's on i was going to say yeah esme i wonder if you might be right there because in the um 60th specials you know the the toy maker did all the stuff with the puppets and you know all the companions and the the flux and all that damage and then obviously the um, shooty stock was quite prominently uh you know reference being adopted and stuff like that mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah i wonder if you know there's a conscious drive to to try and sort of mm-hmm. you know atone a, a for you know the things that have happened to past companions and even though that's not sort of you know, directly the doctor's fault is a bit of a kind of guilt with it, maybe. Uh, well, there's an accountability, perhaps, which I think is what you're getting at, isn't it, Esme? You know, so that yeah. there is a yeah, taking, responsibility. Yeah, taking a bit of responsibility. Because mm. um, mm. <clears throat> I, I definitely have felt like... I think it's been sort of, like, explored a bit before, and especially in the specials, that was, like, a big theme. But just kind of, like, you can't just take these people out of their lives mm. and show them the universe <clears throat> and then jump them back home. Y- I feel like yeah. that's a very recurring theme. So I wonder if it, we'll, it is, yeah. we'll finally yeah. see it sort of be... Uh, him have, like, a very strong awareness of it throughout mm. the adventure rather than just at the end. Yeah, and be part yeah, of that be, narrative. It's quite interesting. interesting yeah. When you look at the Doctor's character over the last few years, you know, certainly since Jodie came on and we got a much more <clears throat> sort of compassionate Doctor compared mm. to the spiky 12th Doctor... 
Um, you know, who needed flashcards to tell him how to emotionally respond to yeah. people? You know, so and, and then we saw that kind of continued with the 14th Doctor, even though it was short-lived. Yeah. You know, we saw a much more introspective take on the Doctor. You know, he seemed to be much more questioning about himself. So, it, you know, it was, it, it was his identity then. Who am I? You know, and, and those three specials, went, I, I watched them again quite recently, and it kind of occurred to me that, you know, one recurring three throughout all of them is that question of identity. Mm-hmm. You know, not just the Doctor asking himself, but in the Star Beast, we have Rose, you know, could be becoming finally complete. You know, she knows who she is now, and you know, is is loud and proud and brilliant and amazing. And and, and Donna as well. She has that whole thing. Can't so everybody's in a nice place. Yeah. And then in the um, in the wild blue yonder, we get this this whole thing about you know perhaps the subconscious side of your personality you know and it's an exploration of that that kind of Jungian sort of you know conflict between you know the conscious and the subconscious and then in the giggle we get the the, the by regeneration you know the fact you can be multiple people multiple personalities almost mm. the doctor having that healing process and then being able to yeah. sort of continue i think it's a wonderful little trilogy that just explores different aspects of identity whilst wrapping up in, a, in, an, in an adventure and then by the time we get to the church on ruby road we have a doctor who is still you know still has the compassionate side that we saw with um with, with, with jody's 13th doctor has been through all that kind of identity not crisis but understanding and realization and, and and we see a doctor with with tears flowing mm, yeah. down his eyes quite a few times in that story and and again yeah. you get that in the novel with a little bit more understanding of why that is which which I love it's fantastic sorry that was me on a on a soapbox <laughs> I didn't realize no, I was going to go on like listened, that just... <laughs> I could have listened to that for ages that was so well so well explained as oh, well. no I love that do you know what I think Doctor Who is such a great show because there's mm. like you could really talk about that for hours like just go into all of the different like themes that they explore yeah, yeah. and like touch on and it's just so like such a rich like piece of media for like thinking about so many different things so mm. that's well, one well, sci-fi and fantasy is isn't it you know I mean I've, I've yeah. been really sci-fi and fantasy you know again like you since since a really early age you know old stuff and and you know modern stuff new stuff um, independent stuff mass published stuff you know I, I soak it all up you know, as much as I can and and you know it, it does annoy me when I when I hear you know people with a, a very elitist kind of perspective on things say well science fiction you know blah, 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 it's not really it's not really literature is it you know mm. but you know it's it's so important and it's the only genre which allows us to understand certain aspects and topics and you know things that go on in in our lives and in society from a perspective that shines such a a bright spotlight on them that it does force us to question things you know even in in, in realms of literature you know when you look at things that are that have been that, that have looked at those questions, you know, look at things like uh, Salman Rushdie and uh, Jean Rhys, uh, Jean Rhys Davis, anyway, various people. <laughs> they do it by using what they call magic realism, but really it's fantasy, it's right? Fantasy, or it's yeah. you know, it's, it's borderline sci-fi, mm-hmm. and, and and it's like they have to dive into that genre or pull elements from it in order to shine that spotlight, you know. Yeah. But so it's. It does annoy me sometimes. No, it, it really annoys me as well. But I think I just, I, I'm trying to change the narrative and have superiority mm. over them. I'm like, do you know what? I get to like think about the big questions of life and I get to have fun at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. That's, well, that's exactly the thing with sci-fi, it. isn't yeah. it? You know, all, all these big 
questions and and themes and things are mm. you know get wrapped up in cool robots and aliens yeah, and stuff exactly. and, and that's the surface <coughs> detail which we love yeah, i mean that, that's, that's what drew me to things like star wars you know back in the day yeah. but you know when when you get older when even when you get older i think even when you're a young age you know it sort of opens your mind and shows mm. you horizons and perspectives yeah. and voices you know with an authenticity to them and you, that, that you might not have otherwise seen you know because mm. you can get wrapped you can get thrown into this one single channel of you know everything that reinforces who you are and yeah. or what you want to be or what your family tell you that you ought to be you know and yeah. live your life this way and be that person but actually no you know you read stuff and it opens it all up mm. and you know you see different things and you become a i think a better person for mm. it you know i think so yeah Sorry, another um, soapbox in. I'm, I'm going to shut up now. Let's just hand uh, over. Well, I, d I don't really know how to follow that. So, um, no, well, I'll tell I'll you what, actually. <laughs> can we just delve in? Because I, I was looking at your bio, Esme, and, uh, and obviously you've you, done a, a lot of stuff in, in literature, classical studies, and you know, what, what was your kind of take on uni when you went, went through all that? What? Mm. Um, I loved uni. So my degree was English, English literature and classics. Mm. And I've said this so many times, like on like while I've been chatting about the principle of moments and other things. But I think so many, again, of the classics, like properly prestigious literature that so many mm. people would sort of consider to be very untouchable and, you know, very serious. I'm like, it's all fantasy. It's yeah. all fantasy. Like one of the things I love doing, which annoys people, is calling like um, the big epic poems, like the Aeneid and the Iliad and stuff, like fantasy books. <laughs> they are. They actually are. Like they're yeah. just. They're, and do you know what? They're they're these sprawling epic mm. fantasy stories. Yeah, they're like space heroes. opera. <laughs> yeah, about heroes and gods mm. and monsters like titans and exactly like these creatures and so that's i think you know when i really think about it why i love the reason that i love the classics and the reason mm. that i love fantasy are the same reason and it's because they explore what what it means to be human and what mm -hmm. it means to like live in the world but in these in massively <coughs> elevated um settings so yeah and and you know like looking at doctor who you know it's all really heightened and you know fantastical mm. and all that but none of that really means anything if you can't identify with it and you know relate to it and yeah, things and exactly. you know i i know people who say oh you know our doctor is just running about on a spaceship well that's a part of it mm. but if if i didn't care about the doctor mm. or you know yaz or you know rose or whoever mm. it, none of that stuff really means anything it, it's so surface to oh that spaceship exploding that looks cool that's and it. That's it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's it. Anyway. And and it's the same. Mm. You know, like look, looking at you know a lot of films, and you can see why some stuff endures and has the audience that it does. You know, like you know, I always say the Transformers films. Yeah, yeah, robots fighting each other is great, but once you've seen one, you've seen it all, and it, it just doesn't mean anything past that, does it? You no. know, because there's there's not enough humanity within it, and yeah. you know that's exactly why this kind of stuff is is so good. Um, no, because it is. And I, I recently rewatched the Alien, the first Alien movie mm. recently. And I think that's just such a perfect example yeah. of what you're talking about, because it's got these huge set pieces and like crazy, um, like, you know, alien prosthetic, mm. you know, mm. creatures. But if you didn't care about the main characters yeah. and the people on yeah. board the ship, it wouldn't be as scary. And no. it's, I think for me, the last scene where she's in the spaceship and you think she's mm. got away and the alien's there. Yeah, it comes out like from the pipes, was, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah and 
do you know what? It wasn't, we, you know, when I was thinking, we were watching Friends and we weren't going, God, this alien looks great. We were thinking, like, this girl deserves a break. Let her get <laughs> <Exactly. more."> like, <laughs> kind of yeah. like, she's done her time. Let her get the stuff, yeah. please. And, and that's why, Ella, you know, Ellen Ripley, for example, has, mm. you know, endured because... Mm-hmm. She's just, you know, she's just like us. You know, she's just a, a person. She's a mum, yeah. uh, you know, and and like adding all that stuff into the second film, I think it's more so in the director's cut than the, the regulars. Mm. But it, it enriches the character and you know makes her more relatable and things. And, and you're exactly right. You know, you're the alien is cool, but mm. you watch you know a horror film and someone's getting sliced up and stuff. Oh yeah, the gore. Oh, you know, it's brilliant. <laughs> but if you don't care about the person that you know is, is in jeopardy yeah. and and you know ripley was you know and uh, so such a great character and also spinning it on its head a little bit to make her the kind of the final girl mm. you know mm. that, that survives there because that didn't yeah, often happen in, in sci-fi in you know I, I like buffy a lot and you know that was all born out of what if yeah. the final girl turned around and was the one who could kick ass yeah. you know in it and when they were writing the scripts of the show on that it was always mm. What's the character, you know, emotion? What's the the drama this week? Figure that out, and then say, right, well, what's the the monster manifestation of that? And that was how it was done, and and that's why something like that is, you know, relatable because it's about people who happen to stake vampires and, you know, will fight aliens on a spaceship or you know whatever it might yeah. be, you know. So oh, yeah, I, so I love it good. as well. It's great. So good. Yeah, I, I love alien, fa- alien films. I think they're fantastic. It's such good stuff. We're going to ask you some questions about this in a second. So, sorry, Jeff, go on. Carry on. <clears throat> um, I was going to ask you if you got to visit the set and, and meet Shooty mm. or, or anyone at oh, any point. No. Oh, no. I would have loved to do that. Do I would have what? added that in the contract. <laughs> yeah, next, yeah. Time, next time I'll be like, I get, to, I get to shake his hand or I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, no, I would have loved to do that. I mean, I mm. think they're both, I think Shooty and Millie Gibson, they're, they're both amazing mm. and i think they just complement each other so well on screen and i feel like they've got a great relationship and i just I, yeah i would have loved to meet them the one thing that i did get to do was mm. back in the project before this one i was it was um in cardiff so i got to visit jody's tardis oh, um, and i've got a full picture of me in the tardis and like it was so cool Brilliant. there was a few of us there and we were like playing with the console <laughs> oh, they kind of it was right right before um it was right after they'd finished filming her final mm. season so um they were tearing it down they said they were like oh, yeah wow. this is kind of and i was like mm. what do you mean you don't keep them they were yeah. like, you can't keep them, all of them. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'll destroy it. It's, it's really sad. I remember watching a video, a time-lapse of Capaldi's TARDIS being dismantled, yeah. and then I've seen bits of Jodie's, you know, appearing, uh, you know, people from the crew have got bits of it, like Ray Holman, the costume designer, he's got one of the, yeah. um, you know, sort of roundel things in, yeah. in his garden, and, and then bits have appeared on eBay. And, you know, Spinny TARDIS. It, yeah, yeah. Well, when Chris we Chibnall. met Chris Chibnall, yeah, he had one of the spinning Tardises, and yeah, you know that all this stuff gets dismantled mm-hmm. and things, it's but it still it does. You know, you got you it got this hard. attachment to it. Was it? Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing I got to do was they took us to the props mm. warehouse um, in Cardiff, which is like literally a huge shipping container, mm. and it's just full of every single Doctor Who prop and costume oh, that's ever been made. And it was literally to the point where you're like trying to get through somewhere and you're having to like, really <laughs> squeeze through the, yeah. the like the hallways that have 
been encroached upon by other things. So like, I've got a selfie with the face of Bo. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Which is so good. And um, I've got, the the one that, that I loved was that I got to try on Martha's black jacket that she wears. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I got to, I've got to wear that, which was, I was like, oh my God, are you sure I can even touch uh, this? Yeah, that's yeah. the worry of, you know, there were cybermen heads like on shelves yeah. and um i think what else was there there was david tennant's full costume was just in like a dust bag mm. and they were like oh they took well they were like yep this is his put it back and we were like oh <laughs> um it was just it was so cool i loved it um so that was really really amazing that's brilliant experience. But yeah, that's the closest I've ever got to meeting the cast or anything. That's pretty um, fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it was almost it was almost better. I was like, I feel like I'm meeting all the villains instead. Yeah, that's quite good. that's fun, isn't it? Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> Do you have a favourite Doctor Who monster? Doctor Who monster. Do you know mm. what? I recently rewatched the um, the Kerry Mulligan's Whispering um, Weeping Angels. Episode. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. And I literally was me and my so my yeah. youngest I've got a younger sister and she um, when me and my sister were first watching it my youngest mm. sister was like one so she was not allowed into the room. <laughs> <laughs> not allowed. Yeah, no babies allowed. And yeah. um, she so I'm she's sort of been watching over my shoulder a bit while I've been watching the mm. episodes again. And we were both sat there, like, bawling our eyes out at this episode, which I hadn't rewatched in ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just, like, it was just such a classic. It, it, upon rewatching, it went straight into, like, my mm. top episodes of all time because mm. it was just so good. Um, and she's, like, very, she's, like, 14 and very sceptical of everything. And she was like, that was so good. Like, <laughs> at, at points in the episode, she would literally turn to me with mm. like, her jaw just open, being like, I can't believe they did that. Like, I can't believe that yeah, just happened. Yeah. And I, I had to explain to her the whole thing about how they'll send you back in time and mm. there's no way to come back. She's no. like, how is she going to get back? I was like, she's not. That's she's it, not yeah, done. Yeah. She couldn't <laughs> believe it. And I, it was so fun to watch um, Doctor Who mm. through fresh eyes. So I think yeah. Weeping Angels would be definitely up there and i think the matt smith weeping angels episode oh it's a banger it's oh, so yeah. good it's one of my favorites and, and that is almost like uh, it's quite a good example of how doctor who is is flexible <coughs> as, as a show you know creatively because it essentially mm. becomes uh, aliens you know with weeping angels in in the caves and stuff yes. and then you know when jody has her uh, weeping angels episode in flux it's like a you know hammer horror type thing yeah you know and really pushing that side of them as well you yeah. know and so and versatile. so yeah and then you know you look at church on ruby road it's a labyrinth inspired you know real fantasy type yeah. thing with, with goblins and stuff and yeah. you know completely different to the giggle or you know wild blue yonder which mm -hmm. were only you know two episodes previous to it it's mm -hmm. it's you know we said this before haven't we paul but you could just almost do anything within it I think there's yeah. a way to, you know, to there'd be an explanation for anything. You know, if, if the rumored musical episode happens, you know, there'll be a, you know, a, a believable explanation for that happening in it. Mm. You know? Do you know one thing I love about Doctor Who is that mm. the, the showrunners and the writers, like they trust the audience so much. Yeah. Like I think they do put a lot of trust in us to sort of mm. like roll mm. with it and accept it because I think one thing that is frustrating as a writer now. Um, especially just trying to like you know at the beginning of my career trying to push boundaries and stuff mm. is that you publishers or 
yeah you know people they really don't have much trust in the audience mm. to kind mm. of like roll with I weird stuff can say that mm. yeah and you you're kind of suggesting things and it's like okay fine but mm. is there an example of when this has worked before mm. multiple mm. times or mm. is this you know um what's the inspiration what's the da -da 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 -da? Mm. and it's kind of like unless it's similar to like five other books coming out in the same year it's it can be hard to get it approved yeah. and so i think it's such a gift that doctor who is so established and has such a open-minded mm. fan mm. base that you can really push boundaries and just kind of like throw anything at them like a challenge and they'll just take it and be like yeah or, and yeah. you know sometimes people don't like it and they'll say that but mm. overall it's at least they at least they tried it's better to you know to give it a go and give it a go you and know, to fail. fall slightly short mm. and yeah. but that's really interesting what you said because i think you see that within you know like the marvel films for example you know eternals is a beautiful weird little film mm. but they they tried something different there, yeah. and pe you know the, like the sort of nor you didn't like it. The normal fans, you know, they they didn't like it particularly. Yeah. But actually, over time, mm. people have started to, to realise actually, you know, this this is a good film, and it does something yeah. a bit a little bit different within it. You know, and, it tries, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. You know, when, when and I think or fails is down to your own yeah. personal. Well, do you know kind of, what I think? The interesting thing about that movie mm. is that I I I I I worried about it because I felt like. Um, I worried for the director because I felt yeah, she was yeah. set up a bit because she's such a phenomenal director. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then to go into a mega corporation mm. filmmaking, it's like she would have come up against the same struggles that I'm coming up against, mm. which is like I've got this this visionary idea or I've got mm. this incredible pushing the boat out idea, something that's never been done before. And then it's just got to go through layer and yeah, layer yeah, and layer yeah. and layer of checks and balances mm, and yeah. execs and... Oh, I don't know about that's a bit that doesn't align with the Marvel brand, and it's like okay, yeah. like the brand, like what's, <laughs> what's the best way to tell this story? It, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I feel like that one of the best things about Doctor Who is that you know mm. they they are willing to kind of like let the showrunner or the writer kind of like go a bit crazy with it. Mm. Um, I think that's good. You know, I, I love the Marvel films. You know, I always read Marvel comics and stuff, yeah, but I do good. think there's an element of playing it safe sometimes mm, because of a fear of. Uh, you know something not hitting and and, yeah. and, you know, and disappointing the audience, but I think it 's got to a point now where people should be able to accept mm. that not every film or show is going to be made for them yes you know? so Absolutely. she hulk yeah. is aimed at a female audience mm. uh, you, you know um, echo is is aimed at a certain type of audience as well echo is brilliant loves you it. know Absolutely. But, you know, when you see people online moaning mm. about it and, you know, all, all that sort of stuff, you think, well, it can't all be made for you. Yeah. But the moaners tend to be a certain type, though. But that, that's, you yeah, know, you, that's, you, I didn't want to, I didn't want to say lie, it, but, but, you know. <laughs> they, have a, they, they, they vote a certain way. Yeah. They all say the same kind of things. Yeah. They're all, I, I'm not going to go too much. We know who they are, basically. Yeah. And, and, and it's, uh, they, the creative shouldn't let people like that kind of you know di dictate, dictate things and yeah. i think marvel are now getting to try a few things and and mm. kind of say screw them you know yeah. we're going to do what we we feel and, and and also like you said about like you know the corporate layers and stuff you know I won't go into it but there was stuff within marvel where you know 
uh, the higher ups didn't want Black Panther to be made because they didn't I believe didn't. that the toys would sell. Yeah. You know, and, and then you know Kevin Feige who's in charge. He was mm. like, "Fuck that!" And yeah. he he got the control back, and then they exactly. made it. And Captain Marvel and, and proved that there would be an audience for stuff like that. Exactly. Because you know, so th- the craziest thing is, is that these films and these mm. more daring projects have a really high success rate and yeah. often if you i what i always say is that if you're going to do something different you've got to like say it with your chest and just do yeah. it you've got to like go all out Definitely. because then yeah. it will oftentimes end up performing better than mm. your like bog standard marvel movie it will end yeah. up just because people recognize it they're like whoa it's like that feeling of um like the first time i saw mm. into the spider verse in the cinema and i just felt like my yeah. hair was blown back by yeah, everything yeah. i was seeing on screen yeah, yeah, yeah. mind blown by every every single frame and story yeah. and That's choice that they made yeah. and if they'd stuck to you know the usual rules mm. of animation or even just the unspoken rules of like you can't have a black spider-man or something mm. we would have mm. never had that film no. it's and they're, they're amazing one of the films. best films mm. made in the last you know Definitely. 50 years so I just feel like um, oh, it's such a shame when they let those mm. voices win because mm. that's not a way, any way to sort of go about making good art. No, no, it's, it's not. Agreed. Yeah. And, and I think the, the good thing about Doctor Who, like, like you're saying, it, it provides a vehicle almost of, of safety for the corporates, right? Because the corporates yeah. can see that Doctor Who on its bedrock level is successful. Yes. So really within that, you can kind of build what you want and say, well, okay, so if this doesn't fail, you know, if this fails, whatever, which it won't yeah. secretly, we know that. You know. But, you know, you've at least got this layer of minimal success. So yes. let's try a few things. So it yeah. can become quite experimental and, you know, push the envelope a little bit more, which I think no, it's, I always, think... it's always tried to do throughout all of its Yeah, history. I think so, yeah. 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 Mm. So um, can I ask, actually, sorry, mm. just, just just before we move on, uh, and uh, this this kind of applies to what we're talking about, but um, I need to ask, how was it um, writing for somebody else? Because or writing from somebody else's material. So you, you've, oh. you, you've you've written your own novel. That's yeah. all you, right? That's hundred percent you. Yeah, yeah. Now you've got to take somebody else's work, and it just happens to be Russell T. Davis as well. So, I and I think that relates to no, there, there wasn't a question on that. That's my question. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> that was that was definitely challenging. I found mm. this whole experience to be like a massive learning curve, and it's weird. It's not because like I was sitting there. Mm. It feels strange to describe it as challenging because at, at no point was I sort of sat there stumped, like with no idea where yeah, to go yeah, because yeah. It, or the whole plot was written for mm. me. But it was more just like, okay, how do I approach this? And how the main balance for me was how do I bring my own voice to yeah, this? Because yeah. I think that's important. Like you don't ask somebody to do it unless you want them to bring their mm. own voice. And I think that as yeah, you were yeah. saying, as you guys were saying, that's like a massive part of the novelizations is like, oh, what did the writer add? But then how do I respect, you know, the the sanctity of Russell T. Davies writing? Um, and I don't know. I just I found it very, very like like a challenge in the best sense mm. of the word. Like I found it like thrilling and exciting to be like left alone with these characters to just yeah, like, yeah. write them how I wanted to. Yeah. Um, but I was obviously very lucky in that the, the sort of scaffolding of the story mm. um, and the dialogue even was just so good and um, written so well. But yeah, I found it interesting. And I think um, my wrote, my writing process is very kind of like, um, I just, a lot of the time I just sit back and let the characters do what feels yeah. natural to them. And it honestly, yeah, it honestly feels like they're almost telling me the story. Um, and you, if you can build really strong motivations for characters, they'll just end up doing what it makes sense what for them. What they should do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but for this one, I kind of had to reverse engineer motivations <laughs> because the actions were there, but you yeah. didn't get um, a full explanation of the character's motives. And I think the script was so good because you didn't need it. It was very obvious just yeah, from yeah. The, yeah. sort of like the setup and their family situation and everything that we were shown about them. Mm. Um, it became yeah, That's very... what Russell's quite good at, actually, isn't yeah. it? Just with the, It's almost like an impressionistic style. He can just few sort of brushstrokes yeah, yeah. and you mm. get everything which mm. is oh my amazing. gosh honestly like even even reading the script was just mm. it was like a master class in like character and balancing character and plot and like i think the way you've described it is so true because when i really got into the nitty-gritty when i was trying to find details i could expand mm. on to kind of flesh out like the character yeah. of ruby there weren't that many details mm. but I had an impression in my mind of what she was like and what her family was like. And I think that's so, like, I think that just shows someone who's been at this a while. They've done their yeah. 10,000 hours <laughs> so, and they, yeah. they can really write, basically. Mm -hmm. And it was just so, oh, it was so great to work with that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a learning curve to be like, okay, I know everything that happens, but why did this happen? Or what, yeah. how are they feeling about yeah, it? Yeah, that's an interesting way of having yeah. to do it, isn't it? Yeah. And do you know what the funniest thing is? Go on. Is yeah. that um, it, I've written a bit of fan fiction in my time, and this yes. almost felt like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> which feels a bit cheeky to say, but it very much was like, all right, mm. we've got the canon events, and we've got everything that we know is happening. But like, how is everyone feeling about it? And that's yeah, that's yeah. kind of like what the what fan fiction is, I guess, at the, in the core of it. So I um I I loved sort of getting to expand on that, and it felt very natural for me. But then, yeah, it was definitely balancing like yeah. the urge to just go crazy versus like, right, this is a serious thing where I've got, but not you know, not that serious, where I've got to make sure that I'm giving you know, paying yeah, yeah, respects yeah. to the source material. Yeah, but yeah, I, overall, I loved it. I thought it was so mm. fun. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. Can so, I ask how long it took you to Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. How long did it take to write from beginning to end then? The first draft took mm. me a month. And then I had to, um, obviously with like other projects, then I had to um, edit it and edit it down. So I, yeah, I probably yeah, worked yeah. on the whole thing for about three months or so. Mm. Um, would, but not would, long. No, that's all right. It's mm. pretty good going, actually. Because, I mean, it reads like, um, it, it reads very quick. It's got a really good pace to it. It was one of the reasons I read it so quickly. Yeah, it last must night, be, yeah. I you, honestly yeah. couldn't yeah. put it down. It's been oh. a long time since I've read a Doctor Who novel in that short space of time. And that's literally just been able to focus on it. And on a PDF as well, on a screen, on my yeah. phone. Yeah, that's you know, my, <laughs> my, my daughter's watching a football match last night, you know. And, and I'm on my phone just reading this, and she's going, oh, yeah, go, go, go. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah oh, yeah. that's such a, thank you for painting that picture. That's so lovely. Oh, no, it's, it's, it, it, honestly, it's, and, and it was an absolute delight to read. I, I have to say, and, you know, it, it absolutely belongs within the whole bookshelf of target novels oh, i can't wait to like an actual thing mm, i mean yeah, i'm really looking forward to, to reading really, it yeah really massively and and because of that i'm looking forward to reading um principal uh, the principle of moments as well so yeah, yeah but it has the really same wanna... fast pace definitely that's it brilliant yeah. so yeah t tell us a bit, bit more about that i was mm, gonna please. say let's go back back to the beginning and, and find, find out what inspired you to get into writing but tell us a bit a bit about your book is that, is that the first part of a trilogy am i am i right Yes. So to take it right back to the beginning, this mm. this is the first part of a trilogy. Um, and it's something I've been writing for a while. So I've been wor working on this first book for now seven or seven years or so. Um, so it's definitely like a labor of love and mm. something that I've poured a lot of time and effort into. But yeah, it's basically just my like love letter to fantasy and space opera. Um, but sort of coming from the 
the position and the viewpoint of someone who wasn't always mm. represented in that genre mm. and who kind of felt the loss of like, wow, all these people are so amazing, but like, I'm, I'm never there, I can never see myself. Mm. And it's almost like, um, you know, when you're a kid, it's not, you don't think of it as an issue, you're just happy to be there and reading about these amazing stories. But I think it can really, there is, there, there is a real loss there of never mm. never seeing yourself as the hero or seeing yourself mm. as someone who can achieve these things. And it does just bring an added layer of joy and fun and like almost like vindication to it because you're like, I can do yeah. these things, mm. I can be mm. that person. So I, um, I think as you get older, um, it's so important to be able to identify yourself with people who are doing amazing things and mm. are valued and are heroic and... Just like even like, you know, reading as a kid, like there would always be like the beautiful princess who saved by the prince, whatever. And it's like that was just never me, you know. Mm. And so I think that can be quite um, it can, you know, it's, it's that thing about the danger of a single story yeah. that Shimamanda talks about a lot. Like um, if you tell yourself the same thing over and over again, that becomes your story yeah. and that becomes that what That becomes you, your truth. That, yeah, exactly. Mm. And it's like eventually you won't need books to tell you mm. that you're no one because that's just what you'll think. And I think that's so sad and not something that I want to perpetuate in my own work, but something yeah. I want to take steps to kind of fix and heal. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just wanted to write a, a story about like a strong black girl who's also yeah. vulnerable and scared um, and just trying, desperately trying to do the right thing. Um, and yeah, she, she, she meets up with this time traveler character in the future and yeah. they just go on this insane, wacky adventure. Um, so that's kind of where, where the origin of that story came from. <laughs> I started writing it when I was quite young, so yeah. it was definitely like wish fulfillment. And then um, I got serious about it and edited it a lot, and now yeah. it's published, so that's something I'm so grateful for. That's awesome. How, how long did it take you to get it picked up and you know get published? Well, this is interesting. So mm. this is, goes back to what I was saying before about... Um, stories that are really different, having a hard time gaining traction within mm. the industry to even make it into bookshops or to make it onto the big screen. And so I, I it took a long time, basically. Half the yeah. reason that it took, I've been working on it for so long is just because it was finished and done like within mm. about three or four years. Yeah, and then right. the other half of the time was just me trying to get it on shelves. Trying to pitch it. Yeah, and trying to pitch it. And do you know what? People were not interested. Really? They were not interested in the pitch. They were not they couldn't understand it. A common rejection I would get is like, you're clearly a talented writer, but I have mm. no idea how I would sell this to people. Or I, had, I have no idea who, what the market is for this. And I'm like, I mean, the market yeah. is the same market that it is for every yeah, other. What, what, yeah. what does it matter what the, uh, you know, the, the face of the story is yeah. when it's a good story? Yeah. You know? I guess the response was like, well, we know that, you know, we've, there's a huge market for what mm. Brandon Sanderson is doing, but, this isn't really like that. Or there's a huge market for like, um, you know, books about, you know, the Tamora Pierce books, but this isn't mm. really like that. And it's kind mm. of like, okay, like, do you know, but I think if you read it, you would find that it's actually very similar yeah. to all of those yeah. books, like in, in mm. its true heart and soul. So yeah, people were really not interested. And then it's funny that we brought up Ben Aronovich because he actually mm. um, started a prize for 
underrepresented authors um, yeah, in science right. fiction fantasy. Yeah. He started a prize about that, and it was he did it with Adjoa Ando, who does, mm. who plays Lady Danbury on Bridgerton, and she was in she was in Doctor Who. She was played Marvel. Yeah, she was. Yeah, mm. and um, they sort of came together to create this prize and got a few publishers on board. But you know, not many publishers were that on board with the prize <sighs> either in the beginning. There was one, one or two. Mm. I think it was one. It was one publisher, Golantz, who have done a lot of the masterworks and mm. um, published a lot of the old school sci-fi. This is Golantz, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Mm. And um, they they came on board with it, and I basically submitted to that. Didn't think anything was going to come to it. Then yeah. I got shortlisted, it, and then I won it, which was just crazy. And it was such a um, it was such a it was such a hard moment to understand because I was like, okay, I've won this prize, but I've had no success. Mm. getting published through traditional routes so it was like obviously the work is worthy of winning above yeah. all the mm. other applicants that mm. got submitted but like if technically you know the, the work that the judges deemed was the best couldn't even get through the front door yeah. through like the back door of publishing mm. whatever it's like this is a dire situation mm. and i think the statistic that the prize used a lot was i think in the year maybe like 2017 or 2018 before the year before the prize was created mm. i think it was something like out of all of the works published in the UK in the SFF adult space, I think something like six or seven of them were by black writers or by even, I think, just mm. writers of colour, so not even, really? like, you know, one specific demographic. Like, that was the Christ. whole offering, which is just, you know... It's weird because I feel like in this day and age, everyone's always saying, oh, you know, diversity's great, and it is, <laughs> but I think if you... In Keep some industries, it is... It's yeah, and in others, they've really been left mm. behind. So I feel like that mm. prize has done a massive thing for the diversity of SFF. So like even, so the prize has been running for like five years now. Um, I would mm. encourage anyone to apply to it. It's so good if, you know, if yeah, you that sounds really good. And we've had three book deals come out of that from people right. who might not have had much success otherwise mm. or gotten an agent otherwise. I think one of the one of the women who has won it, her name's um, Moripe, and her book, A Song of Legends Lost, I think it's called, is coming mm. out in a few years now. And she's been writing that book for 30 years or something wow. without success of getting it published. Mm. I'm not sure if she tried to get it published, but I think she probably had. Yeah, um, yeah. And the prize was her only route into publishing. And the book, <laughs> I'm about to read it, it looks incredible. Like, yeah. just like the kind of thing people are dying to read. Um, so yeah, I, w I won that prize and that was how I got um, into publishing. So oh. the only way was by Ben, who mm. in this sense has been an amazing ally to the cause yeah. of you know, yeah. diversifying literature, putting, you know, and also the prize had a massive prize money. Mm. Um, that helps. He put his <laughs> money where his mouth is. Yeah, and yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And really made mm. a difference to people's lives. Like because of the prize money, which was, I think, about the same size as my student loan at the time. Mm. I was able to not, I didn't have to get another job while I was yeah, in, yeah, I yeah, just sort of like ration it out for like two yeah. years or so. And really, um, you know, that really meant that I was able to mm. work and write and not have to be, you know, um, working. Do, doing part-time somewhere, yeah. Yeah, and it's not, it's not, you know, that's removed a barrier that 99.9% .9 of people mm it will never get that so i was mm. really lucky um and wouldn't have been published without that prize that's fantastic you know, so it, oh, um, i was gonna say <laughs> so obviously it changed your life enormously mm -hmm. um and then so what's what's happening next you know is is the book trilogy you know you've got to finish that and that's all you know so that will come out and yeah. you know so how how's that all going at the moment so what's next is I've got a deadline for my second book at the end of March, mm. which I'm 
I think I have to make it. Like at this point, I have to. I've pushed Just it back. I've pushed down. it back a few times, partly mm. because of the Doctor Who stuff. But I've also yeah. been um, invited to Gallifrey One in the US. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I'm yeah. so excited. Make the fans. Yeah. I couldn't. I They'll... couldn't believe it when they asked. Yeah, me you to can't go. turn that down. They'll invite us one year, won't they, Paul? One year. Yeah. They will. Do you know what? <laughs> when, I, when I go, I'll say like these guys. They've got to be it. You could do like a live show. It'd be so cool. We'd love yeah, to. That would be, yeah, yeah. Would, yeah. yeah. And, um, it was just it's such a cool thing but yeah mm. so that's another thing that's in february so i'm thinking yeah. well, i don't know when i'm gonna quite have time to do this book yeah but, yes. um time is cracking on yeah but i'm quite far through a first draft so yeah. i think it might have to be a bit in a shabby state but i'm gonna send it in um and then we, me and my editor can work on it. i've got a really good editor yeah, yeah, yeah. and then yeah. after that it's just got to do the next one finish the mm. trilogy and fingers crossed, they asked me back to do another novelization. I really hope they do. Um, yeah, we, we had a question from um, Toby P on yes, Twitter, actually. He yeah. said, w- would you write any other Who novels, original or ad- adaptations? Yes. If, <laughs> if anyone is listening to this, yes, I would. I think I think is I, nodding yeah. very, well, very actively. <laughs> hopefully, uh, Shalice at the publishers will, will listen. So we'll, yeah. we'll see, you know. Exactly. Let's, let's get some more from you. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. I think they they have. Um, I think they do want me to do some more. I've had a mm. sense that of that, but I, you know, I'll never don't want to take anything for granted. So I'm yeah. just like, yes, please, I want to do it. I think I'd be quite daunted to do an original one for Doctor Who. Mm. Like that's a lot more. Um, there's, I just, you know, my anxiety comes in. I'm like, there's so much <laughs> to go wrong. Like, yeah. But um, I, I would definitely be up for the challenge. So, yeah, I, I really hope that I get a chance to do that as well. Yeah, that would be brilliant. so fun. It's um, quite interesting because, you, you know, you've got your own fiction brand or, mm. you know, really sort yeah. of coming coming online now and 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 the dot two stuff as well and i kind of mm. wonder if you're in, you know when you're successful in, in creating your own stuff and in, in your own little you know universe of, of mm. characters and setups and everything else how it must be quite interesting to then sort of move to doctor who do a great idea for doctor who and think i could use that for my own thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I know that would like, be better for me there yeah <laughs> That's the thing. It, it's interesting. I think mm. for me, I'm just, I really do consider, like, I am just starting out. So I feel like at this point, I, you know, ideas are eternal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, ideas will come and come and come, mm-hmm. God willing, whatever. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I think that I'll, I would do basically anything right now. And I just feel like to have worked on Doctor Who in any way mm. is such an honor. Um, they're probably one of the only sort of, people i would give some ideas to and not feel upset <laughs> oh yeah you guys can have it also i feel like yeah. it's paying it forward or paying it back because they mm. that show has inspired me yes in so many yeah, ways. So yeah. I'm like okay i guess you can have something yeah i I, th- I think you're in a great position you know to mm. have done the who book and and all that that will bring but to have your own you know paul saying your own kind of world franchise you know and, and to be able to build that off and you know then go from there with other things it's very exciting oh no i think i think you're right and i think the lucky thing is is that because um i've got sort of the time travel element in the principle of moments i think there's a definite crossover in audience Mm. there so i feel very lucky that i've been sort of like um, introduced to the doctor who audience in that sense because i think there's a lot for them to love in my book Um, yes i I think so yeah Yeah. and vice versa like i even had a comment from somebody on tiktok that Mm. said um 
oh, I'll have to buy this novelization. Me and my son have just started. And she was like a black lady in the comments. She said, I'll ha- me and my son have just started watching Doctor Who. What a great show. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that just, it kind of, I was like, whoa, because mm. I feel like so many fans have been watching for so long that I forgot that pe- this might be some people's first introduction. It, it, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, they might yeah. have sat down on Christmas mm-hmm. Day just like I did, whatever, like 50, yeah. 10, 15 years ago. Um and this is the first episode they've watched, which I think is amazing. And yeah. it's like, this is really bringing Doctor Who to a new audience and a new, yeah. Um, yeah. just like a, like a whole new world of people. Yeah. And I think it's and, so and, and your book might be the first Doctor Who book they've, mm. they've ever read. Well, yeah, you know, there's a very good chance <laughs> for, for some people it will be, yeah. 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 Which is incredible, yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. totally honoured by that, and I, I yeah. hope it's. Mm. I think it might be a good first one because, as you said, it's quite fast-paced and not very long. Mm. So it's I very think easy to get into. I, yeah. I love yeah. the writing style. You know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I, I don't. Jeff will tell you I don't give out compliments. Very uh, often. He, he doesn't. <laughs> oh, he's, wow. um, he, he's like a weeping angel, really. You know, from from the inside out, built of stone. Sto- you know. Stone cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. I'm really glad about that because you do worry, you know, when you come into something Mm. so established, like, oh, my God, is it going to be like um, similar? And I um, BBC Books sent me a few of the like novelizations like they sent me such a wide range. Like what one did I get? I got some very. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We we spoke to Stephen on the Mm. podcast, didn't we? Yeah. Right. And so I was like, I, I read a few of them. And then yeah. I was like, right, I'm not going to read anymore because I didn't mm. want to be trying to be someone I'm not or yeah. Yeah. Know, something yeah. like that. I wanted to bring something that was me. Well, you, um, you, you were hired for you, so, mm. you know, you exactly. need to be you on it. No, that's ex- that was exactly my thinking. Like, if they mm. wanted it to be the same as all, as the other ones... They'd have asked they, them. They'd ask them, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah. Lord knows these people are very good at what they do. So, you know, yeah. I was like, let me try and do my yeah. own thing. So I, I'm, gl- I'm very pleased to hear that you think I've succeeded at that. <laughs> Genuinely. I, yeah, he is a hard I, critic I and, wow. and a big Target fan, so... Yeah, you're gonna give me a massive head, but <laughs> I'll tell you honestly, if if, if I can't, can't get past the like page two, I'll always get past page one. But if yeah. I can't get past page two, then it's the end of it. And I think I've only ever thrown one Doctor Who book at the wall, so and that was an oh, original yeah. one rather than a tie-in. But right, <laughs> I'm yeah. not gonna tell anybody what that is because it, it's not it fair. Was. Keep keep all the writers on their toes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. text you and ask you later. To <laughs> You'll get um, the inside scoop. Yeah, get get the dirt on it. Yeah. Bonus um, episode. Which Doctor Who did throw at the wall? <laughs> the <laughs> grand reveal. We did that on on YouTube. You know, like those big spiky thumbnails. The grand reveal. Yeah. Paul yeah. hates yeah. this Doctor Who book. Oh, well, yeah. Right. Pimp that negativity, and yeah, then people yeah, will, will yeah. go. This isn't your usual format (laughs) what are you doing Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about impact of omission will you you tell us a bit about that yeah so impact of omission is a funny thing it came it came about um, in 2020 you know Mm. very much spurred by the um, awful you know murder of George Floyd during last Mm. summer and it was a friend of mine who I'd been in school with since we were really young and we'd taken history A level together and we were just sort of talking about everything and the wider context and we yeah. were just and we were talking about how god like don't we both remembered the moment when we were doing um the industrial revolution mm. and there was like a really awkward moment where the teacher was talking about like cotton production or something and about how that just created like a boom in the uk industry and basically um 
set us up to be the world power that we are today. And me and my friend, um, and she's, you know, she's white and she kind of looked at me and I looked at her and we were both mm. kind of like, mm, I don't know about this, but then you don't feel confident enough to sort of put up your hand and mm, yeah. open the discussion. And I was the only black girl in the class and it would have been so just like, it would have mm. really singled me out and been awkward. And at times I wish I'd done it, but you know, we live and we learn. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. It is hard. So then that was, this was kind of our response to it because we then sat back and thought about all the moments in mm. school where it's a very, it's like this presence of like a huge topic that is just totally omitted from the curriculum. Mm. And kind of like, you know, we were talking about lies by omission where you're not technically telling an untruth, but if you don't provide people with the full story of something, you are telling an, you know, an incomplete and untrue yeah. version of events. Yeah. Because um, for me, it is it is a lie to just say, oh, yeah, we got really rich off the um, the trade in cotton. Mm. That was it. And it's yes. kind of like, well, it's not untrue, but I do consider... There, the there's context, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, it's not the whole story. Yeah, the omission to be so huge mm. that it does become a false summation of events, like it's not technically true. So we kind of thought about that. And then what mm. we ended up doing was sending a survey to all of our friends and family, basically just to see if this was a widespread issue or if it was just our school. Mm. And we basically came up with this format um, that was just a click box exercise. And it basically just said, what have you been taught about in school? Mm. And it was very, it was done purposefully, but also mm. it was just a way to gather data. It basically said like, you know, the Great Fire of London, the transatlantic slave trade, Henry VIII, um, yeah. the colonizer mm. you know the, the mm. east india project and it was very clear because you go click no mm. yes no yes no and it just painted this very vivid picture of everything that had been left out of the curriculum and um the the survey was shared really widely mm. um and we ended up sharing it on social media and it just went a bit crazy mm. and we ended up getting like sixty-eight thousand responses or something oh, wow. like that and the demographics of the survey began to reflect the demographics yeah. of the UK. Um, and we knew that it had gone really far when the um, the pie chart that said, were you state or privately educated, reflected the whole, like the statistics of the UK. Interesting. So yeah. we were like, wow, this has gone crazy basically mm. um and we had responses from all ethnicities we had responses from every region of the uk multiple responses from every region um and those began to reflect the actual geographic makeup of the mm. uk um and the, so then that ended up being like a massive sample size bigger than most surveys ever get because i think most surveys send it out to about a thousand people from around yeah. the uk so we had <clears> a sample <throat> size so the information reflected was basically incredibly accurate yeah. and that should still be on our website. Um, but yeah, we then sort of made a petition to petition the government to include, uh, it, I think it was teaching on Britain's imperial past to mm. become part of the national, the mandatory national curriculum. And it went all the way, it got something like 250,000 signatures in like two days. It was one of the fastest growing petitions on the parliament web, website's yeah. history. Um, we went right to a debate in Parliament, which was so underwhelming because you imagine all the MPs and like mm. the benches like shouting at each other. Yeah. And it was like video, <laughs> we watched the live um, thing mm. and it was like in like a little classroom like room and there was like five people there debating it. And the the um, the conclusion of the debate was that yes, this, this is, um, mm. this should be made mandatory. And then of course, there's no one to hold politicians accountable. Mm, so no. it just got totally ignored. And it was a really, 
it was hard to watch mm-hmm. and hard mm-hmm. to process. Yeah, especially as it got that far and made that bigger right. impact and response to it. Yeah, you know. and it disillusioned me greatly yeah. with um, yeah. sort of pro- the processes to get justice that are in place mm-hmm. right now, which I think is honestly what happens when anyone tries to get any kind of response from the government or go through yeah. any kind of like court of law mm. basically you kind of think oh god this is so much worse than i thought it was um mm. and yeah that was interesting and then a very nice thing that happened was then we were invited to like consult on and like appear in troy De- this documentary that troy deeney did yeah. um who's like a premier league footballer i um i had heard of him vaguely before this and then my boyfriend was kind of like do you understand what is happening right now yeah. <laughs> like who this guy is and i was like oh my god and he was so lovely and it was a really great documentary um, mm. that took a sort of more personal approach um, looking towards asking his friends and families what their experience in the education system had been like. And it was all just very illuminating and mm. I think raised the profile of the problem to a significant extent within the UK and brought a large amount of awareness to this issue of, mm. you know, everyone's being lied to by omission. And I think the most interesting thing about it is that... Um, the trust that we place in teachers and in schools to teach. I think Mm. it's such a huge responsibility to educate children. And I think it's such a shame that they aren't, this trust is kind of being taken advantage of in a sense to kind Mm. of um, omit certain details, which Mm. I think should be spoken about. Um, But, you know, I I do have faith that in the future, it will be better and Mm. it will be spoken about more. I just hope that we can get there. Yeah, well, things are changing all the time, exactly. aren't they? And I, th- I think um, sometimes it needs a bit of energy. It needs something like mm. this to kind of move it on. And yeah. no matter how frustrating it might seem now, you know, if that energy continues and builds and gets support from, for, you know, from big influences yeah. and social media, then it, it might actually gain some traction. Yeah. Mm. It's quite interesting because my, my daughter's taking um, A level history right okay. now, and um, you know, she she says. You know, she, she's aware, you know, of incomplete narratives, if mm-hmm. you like. Mm-hmm. And quite often what will happen is her teachers, you know, she has a conversation with teachers, you know, like, like you do. And um, the teachers aren't allowed to express their own personal no. opinions oh. or politics. or It's called politics. It's not really politics. It's humanity. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? But they're, 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 they're totally restricted. And if they do, somebody in the class will tell their mum and dad, who yeah. will then report it? It goes exactly. to the, the board mm. of governors. They say this is against school policy, you're and fired. you find yeah, you find you. Yeah, and, like, you've got, like, I think there's got such to be careful of that mm. happening. And yeah. you know, when you look at um, cases of uh, you know, sort of people teaching about LGBTQA plus mm. rights, you know, over in Florida and stuff like that, yeah. and the, it's, as soon as something is mentioned, like you know, a, a, about trans rights or, or, or being queer or anything like that, they're out. That's it. They're mm-hmm. gone. You know? and, and you just wondered that's a system yeah. you're fighting against no it isn't it affects everyone like <clears throat> mm. the fight for to teach black history is also a fight to teach like queer history and civil rights and all that kind of stuff so it's very much like mm. all of these um things are interconnected so i think you know a triumph for one would then open the gate for another mm. and yeah everything. yeah it, it just takes one doesn't it for the yeah exactly things to change yeah i think the day will come um, yeah, I genuinely yeah. do, so I'm just waiting for that and hoping, you know, something. I, I do. I've, I've got, I've got all my faith in humanity is currently placed in Gen Zs. 
right now because because what's happening right now is an absolute travesty. Yeah. You know, it, it, it really is. The, the mess that I've been, that's been made of things is just just mm. unreal. And no, I'm so hopeful that Gen Zs with with wider perspectives, with more understanding of you know who they are and who everybody else is, mm. that, that it's actually well, going to power things forward. I, I hope that, a much um, brighter future. I hope that's my optimistic because yeah, kind of I want my kids to have a better future exactly. and I need your yeah. kids Paul to make that happen oh yeah they're so a bit younger aren't they <laughs> tell the girls to get on it alright tell them to get up and work yeah <laughs> exactly oh wow so That's shall that. we shall we play our little game to finish off yes we, we've got a couple of little quick fire questions for okay. you here so where is the best hot chocolate you've ever had oh where's it from I should say that, but I that would be a better writing for that wouldn't from? it there's a hot chocolate um shop called Knoops in Knoops Knoops it's K-N-O-O-P-S or Noops I think it's Knoops because he's like Knoops. German so we just thought yeah. like, oh, he made it and they like <laughs> shave like proper mm. chocolate and you can choose the percentage of chocolate whether you want Ooh, dark or milk or white that's chocolate that's quite good and there's a few of them there's one in central London there's one in a yeah. village called Rye which I think was the first one. Oh my god it's amazing like so so good do you know what this is so funny <laughs> Hot chocolate is something I'm actually so passionate about. I know. It, that, well, that's why I asked. It was on your bio. So I, I, it oh, made me think. Hey, I was like, this um, is like, I was when you asked it, I was like, this is the best question ever. It's not just random. We do do some research. Yeah, done oh, a bit of research here. Yeah. No, the, um, the best one I've ever had is in um, is in rye. And, oh, my God, it was so good. It's just, like, delicious. Because I always find that it's never quite dark yeah. enough. And I mm. just picked the perfect one and added, like, a just a horrible amount of sugar to it and it was just yeah. <laughs> I'll have to remember that like, the best one I've ever had was in um, Timberline Lodge in Oregon which is the hotel that uh, The Shining is based on the exterior oh and uh, we sat I sat there with some friends uh, and um, you know they, they got these I don't know eight foot long windows which uh, six feet of it is covered with snow, you know, and uh, huge marshmallows in it. It was a really great hot chocolate. So Wait, I remember I that. Write this down. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even joking. Do you do the marshmallows in hot chocolate? Sometimes, and I let yeah. them melt and I stir it in. So good. It, yeah, my my kids love them. In, in what hot was the chocolate, name of yeah. the hotel? Uh, it's Timberline Lodge, Timberline. Uh, and um, it, it's like skiing and stuff there. And it's, you go in there, and it's a great big kind of lobby it's all wood and you know it's roaring fire it's a fantastic place and that's uh, why they film the yeah. exteriors for the they use for the exteriors for the shining movie right? yeah that's that's yeah, yeah that's the what, yeah, that's o- overlook right. hotel yeah I'm that's what it's based on yeah I'm that's gonna... a day trip when you're out in yeah. galley one yeah you, you know what if when you're in la for galley one you could fly to yeah. to oregon in probably an hour and a half maybe okay. so you could go visit Timberline uh, at, so at Mount Hood, uh, and then and then fly back from uh, LA. Yeah, to I love check that. it out. In the UK, it would be like mm. maybe like a, a train, but in America, it's like you've got to get in a plane. Yeah, that's it. They're like it's like buses or trains over there. Yeah, you know, just fly, you know, interstate. Yeah, on, on the Crazy. plane, you know, it's, it's, like it's so a bit easy. Nice though, is it? It is, yeah, but people don't really visit each other that far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't need to go visit, mate. Yeah, no. yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no, she's out there, everything's good, that's fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I thank you for telling me that. I'm going to That's go right, if, if you go, let, let us know if you ever visit. Yes. Hopefully it lives up to my hype. It's now on my, it is now on my, like, life bucket Hot list. Hot chocolate list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah genuinely. 
Talking okay. of lists, what's on your reading list at the moment then? Have you, have you got time to read any other yes. books? Do you know what? I, the answer for a few months was no. And I've just started <laughs> reading this book called A Marvelous Light Ooh, by okay. Frame Mask. Mm. And it's very much like... Um, I, can't, I don't even know what time period it is. I just call every historical romance like a Regency romance. It's not a Regency right. romance. Yeah. It's set like they've got the tube and they've got, um, I think they might have like very early cars. So I think it's okay, maybe eighteen eighty years. Yeah, maybe like maybe. pre, pre, just pre the First World War. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Central. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like this really. It's so good so far. It's about a um, like a baronet called robin whose mm. family has fallen into disrepair and he's got no money um so he's had to take a job at the home office but um well from the blurb it says however no one tells robin that he'll be acting as a parliamentary liaison to a hidden society of magicians Ooh, yeah. there you go. So that's cool that's the kick yeah and so his like shadow secretary mag magical counterpart shows up um and it's a man called edwin and i think they're going to fall in love and so i'm really excited <laughs> oh, okay that sounds fun <laughs> Good. uh right going from something uh going to something a little bit different who is your favorite disney villain and i ask that because i know that you uh yeah, have, have some, yeah. these questions are so good um i love Dr. Facilia from The Princess and the Frog. He's yep. so horrible. Yes. Yeah, that yeah. scene where he turns Prince Naveen into a frog with all the like voodoo like mm. lights and the necklace and the oh that I love that scene. Do you know what? I'm gonna watch it today. You guys, this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I so I love that yeah. movie. I think him. He's so scary, but also mm. like. Um, He's yeah, kind he's of such creepy cool, his design and the top hat. And, yeah, because he's know, so like, cool as well. Like, yeah. scary didn't really mm. feel like the right word. He's so, like, um, yeah, and menacing, but just, like, he's so almost a bit pathetic as well because he's yeah. in the thrall of these shadow creatures. So you you have a bit of sympathy for him, but yeah. not a lot because he's awful. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a good film. That my, it's a my good one. Girls yeah. like that one. I remember, yeah. I remember taking my girls to see that years when it first came out. They were, they were yeah. quite young. And okay. um, I think my youngest, Freya, was terrified at the time because of the shapes and the yeah. lighting and the movement, the dynamism of all of that. It's, yeah. it's astonishingly good. It it's so one good. of their favourite films. The, I'm just trying to think who I'd say. There's, there's so many good ones, like Mother Gothel, Entangled, because she's so amazing. sad mm. in that, you know, she wants to be beautiful all yeah. the time and, and, you know, locks puns away. Um, <laughs> we saw Wish recently, and King Magnifico was a brilliant villain oh, i've not seen it yet it's Chris really Pine. on my wish list to watch mm. did you think he was a good villain then oh yeah he he was just scenery chomping Brilliant. you know and you could tell chris chris pine was loving it yeah. and, and he's pine. he's got a great song in it as well um uh this is the thanks i get it was so good my, oh i think my... i remember that i think i laughed because he was saying like i don't even charge you rent to live here i thought that, was that so yeah funny. yeah <laughs> it, it kind of goes between like little kind of quippy lines like that yeah. and you know the the lyrics and stuff and um yeah my i took my kids to see it and we really liked it it yeah. was it was good yeah he, he was great okay, but yeah gaston in in beauty and the beast oh he's i such hated a, him such a, a douchebag <laughs> you know um but he gets you know his his comeuppance at the end you know there's yeah. so there's so many great ones He's yeah great. your your kids are prime disney age right now aren't they Jim? yeah yeah my twin girls are six in uh well, 63 days alexa told oh. them yesterday <laughs> uh, days. yeah uh um my son's nine um so 
yeah, they they still like it on the you know the the girls love the princesses and stuff. But yeah. you know they they are kind of drawn a bit to like Rapunzel, you know, who's a bit kick-ass Moana. Mm. You know, it's it's not just a sort of you know ball gowns and and yeah. stuff. You know, um, and um, you know they they know Jodie's Doctor and stuff. And I've said this before, but when um, <clears throat> they were looking at my DVD shelf of, of Doctor Who stuff once and uh, one of the girls pulled out something she said who's this and I said it's Doctor Who and it was David's Doctor and she went Doctor Who's a girl and uh, <laughs> and I said yeah but it, it could also you know be a, a man as well that's no, a girl you know and Gosh, so they that's were crazy, you know. <laughs> that's amazing I love that that that's mm. been their experience that's really cool yeah that. so <laughs> that when we watched the Star Beast uh, which was the first sort of episode they've watched going out you know, I, I had to sort of explain. Well, you know, the girl one is is gone now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the girl this one. Is, this <laughs> is the doctor <laughs> now. Back to the man one. Yeah. <laughs> so. I bet they were sad about that. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think. But then, like they, uh, particularly one of the girls, she really liked, uh, you know, the Meep and the uh, the Wraith Warriors. Is that how you say? It? And interestingly, I didn't tell you this, Paul, but there were some photos of the toys at Toy Fair this week. Oh, yes. And um, Phoebe happened to see it on my phone, and she recognised the Wraith Warrior. She went, I've seen that on, on TV, she? haven't I? And I thought, God, she only watched it once, wow. but it, it lodged in her head. You know, that. Yeah, yeah. Is, and, and uh, that was quite interesting, yeah. Wow. Um, so, <clears throat> my turn, my turn, my yes. turn, right? What are your top three sci-fi fan- or fantasy films? Oh my god! <clears throat> this is proper fan question now, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we're, we're in these realms now. It's my, a safe space here. There's no judgment. No, the immediate, <laughs> the immediate, because we're on Disney. Because I've got Disney mm. on the brain. The first two that pop into my mind are Treasure Planet and Atlantis, the Disney Ooh. films. Mm, I liked yeah. Treasure Planet. Treasure was Planet was my favourite film for so long as a kid. I was, was obsessed it? with that. Mm. And then I saw Atlantis, and that became my favourite film. <laughs> and both of them together, to me, just are mm. so representative of like what the genre can be especially for kids just coming into it like it really teaches you like um Mm. the importance of like curiosity and Mm. adventure and like following your sort of like geeky interests especially in atlantis um and what's if i choose a serious one for the third one what's what would that be Oh no, there's too many. I, I, yeah. was, I, was my head. I was like, I love Alien, I love Black Panther. Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. god, there are so many. Mm. I honestly, I might honestly say Into the Spider Verse to bring a bit of animation. I love yeah, animation. Yeah. If you can't tell, I just I, yeah got yeah. that impression. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, watch. Watching Spider-Verse, I was like, how do you do this? Yeah. How do you make that, that film? And I mean, I have that sort of thought quite often. I'm a, I'm a big Avatar fan, too much mm. to Paul's disgust. <laughs> when I watch the... Uh, he doesn't like good films, but when I was watching the... Um, the making Shoot. of recently on the on the Blu-ray, I was like, I just... I, I cannot fathom mm. how you make something like that. It is beyond where'd complex. Like, yeah, where, where'd you begin? It from nothing, mm. like actually yeah. nothing, and then they get the actors in and they build it all over yeah. the face. I, yeah, I find it absolutely wild. And like explaining to my kids not that long ago, you know, I think we were watching something on Netflix and, and one of them said, how do they make this? And I said, well, someone draws it. Yeah. And then they draw it again, yeah. and it's photographed, mm. and, you know, and explaining it. And, you know, you could tell they were a bit like, what? You know, and it kind what? of blew their mind. And, yeah. then, and then they start asking things like, um, mm. is is so is something real? 
you know, in what we're watching, you know, <laughs> is it real people or, you know, because like ages ago, I remember watching maybe, maybe a Marvel thing with my boy and thinking, he's not even questioning that the Hulk isn't real, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's well, brilliant. Him, like... Yeah, you know, and uh, so, yeah, kind of letting that all go for as long as, you know, it can is, is quite magic. So. Oh, that's so lovely. Um, but I, but that's, that's the last of my questions for you. I, I, as always with, with our guests, I feel like we could just talk all day. Yeah, but um, like, I'm sure we've all got, got things, you to know, do. things to do, you know. Um, but Esme, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure Definitely. talking to you. And um, you know, I've seen quite a few people on Twitter have already got their copy of uh, Churchill Ruby Road. And, and I'm sure there'll be reviews and reactions and stuff popping up very soon. And, and Paul, uh, you've... Uh, You've loved it, so um, I'm going to sit down tonight and start reading it's it. Five out of five um, from so, me, guys. Yeah, it's, it's, it's available now, everyone. Don't Yay. forget, and uh, we look forward to checking out um, Principal of Moments as well. That's out Damn. now, isn't it? So um, yeah, we'll pick that up and uh, get stuck into that soon, and look forward to seeing what comes next from you, whether it's Principal of Moments two or more, who or whatever else you yeah, might be we'll secretly working on. Thank you so much for having me. I've honestly had the best time and it's been so fun. I've not done, I think I've only done a few, like one other podcast before. Or like okay. two and this is so fun. So I've, re- I've enjoyed every second of it. Oh, Thank brilliant. you. Thank you. Yes, oh, it's thanks, been a real Esme. pleasure. Yeah. It was yeah. great, guys. <laughs> Fantastic. Esme, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. Doctor Who fans, look out for another Who Corner to Corner podcast coming your way very, very yep. shortly. But for now, thanks to our very special guest. This is me, Paul, and Jeff saying thank you to Esme Jigiri-Pearson. Yay! I, I don't know why you're talking like that. I don't know. It just sort of came out. I don't know. You can cut well, it. I, I thought gonna it was do... quite professional. I was like, he's got the I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> professional is not a word we use to describe our podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that bit to the guest, you know. Yeah, thank you. yeah. yeah. <laughs>